All right, welcome everybody. Welcome. Um, what a big week uh, it is. What one of the great, great joys in our in our tradition. One of the 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 real um, uh, the the real uh, moments of glory in our tradition is the this moment when we move from the book of Genesis to the book of Exodus. Right. This is like this is um, because. Because the book of Genesis itself is so magnificent, so um, so singular, so uh, epic, that uh, you might have thought that anything else would be a letdown, you know? I mean, it's like there's five books in the Torah. The first one is Genesis. Like, where are we going to go from here? Just in terms of, of sheer magnificence and, and, and power. Um, and then, and then we come to Exodus, and it's like, it's like the, it's like there's never been a one-two punch like this. I think you know, <laughs> I think maybe if the second book of the Torah had been Leviticus, we would, you know, you would lose a lot of readers every year. Um, Leviticus comes next, and hopefully by then we're we're hooked. But part of the reason that we're hooked is we just can't believe that Genesis is followed by Exodus, um, and it's almost like. Uh, it's almost like it couldn't get any better. And then I won't say it gets better, but it's like, then we're kind of rocketed to another, another level. My podcast is called best book ever. Right. And it's really five books. And, um, you know, it feels like Genesis is the best book ever, but, but Exodus is also the best book ever. So, so it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a glorious movement that we're about to, 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 uh, to chart. And today, what I want to do is talk about not just the, the 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 greatness of having like you know the top two works of literature one after another, but also um, also to make clear that those two books are um, not just uh, great and next to each other by happenstance, but that they are in fact uh, very deeply connected. That there are uh, there's a real a dialogue between these two books. In some ways, what I'm saying is obvious. Is we're going to pick up on some of the stories that we've been discussing all along. But um, but today, I want to make clear just how how interconnected they are, and just how much in dialogue um, they are, and uh, and try to get like a larger picture of the of the movement that between these two books, and and maybe. Um, maybe a larger picture of the the movement of the whole Torah. What we're what we're what we're trying to do here, and we're going to use the commentary of Nachmanides of the Ramban to help us. So, off we go into uh, the 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 second best book ever. Not the second best, but the second best book ever. Um, okay, so let's say a blessing. We'll get started. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher Kitchanu B'Mitzvotav Etzivanu La'Asok B'Divrei Torah. Let's uh, let's immerse ourselves in uh, in in words of Torah. Okay, so uh, it is uh, it is as I said, in some ways obvious to say that the that the Book of Exodus is connected to the Book of Genesis. It's the it's the same family that we're that we're you know uh, picking up uh, with now that we have settled in Egypt and we saw them go down to Egypt, right? So the stories are connected. But 
it's it's the 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 interconnectedness is more um more uh, uh explicit and deliberate and and um and linguistic than that and we know we know uh that we're going to be seeing the books speak to one another and we know that from the very first line of the book of Exodus. The very first, first line of the book of Exodus tells us in all kinds of ways, but in some very, um, in some very uh, stylistic ways, especially that we ought to be thinking about, we ought to be thinking about Genesis. We ought to be keeping everything that we learned in Genesis in mind. Okay, so here's a, here's a source sheet. Let me give you a source sheet. Um, and let's just take a look at the first, um, line in Exodus, um, these are the Elishmot, right? That's the, uh, that's where we get the, um, the title uh, of the book in Hebrew, Shmot, Shmot, which means names. And that's also the title of this Parsha, Shmot. We call it Exodus in, uh, in English. Um, and uh, we're going to come up with other names for the book before we're through. But in Hebrew, we call it Shmot names because of this line here. These are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each coming with his household. And then they are named uh, Jacob's children. And this is, you know, this, and then, and we, we soon get right into it. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation, but the Israelites were fertile and prolific. They multiplied and increased very greatly so that the land was filled with them. And then the, the ominous begins. A new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, look, the Israelites are much too numerous for us. Let us deal shrewdly with them so that they may not increase. Okay. Otherwise, in the event of war, they may join our enemies in fighting against us and rise up from the ground. Okay. So uh, just, I mean, we could, we don't really need to go any further. We could just talk about those, everything that's happening in just those lines. But I, I want to just highlight the, that, first, uh, that first sentence, that first verse. These are the names. These are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Now, that, if you're a careful reader of the Torah and the way that we try to train ourselves in this, in this um, class to read the Torah, then when we see, and these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt, we, 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 we start thinking that, wait a minute, there's, this is, we've seen this somewhere before, right? I say this again and again and again and again in this class, but one of the primary ways that the Torah communicates her meaning and narrative to us is by giving us linguistic connections across, across the text. Okay, so these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. That's the opening line, and we've already seen that line before, right? We've already seen that line before. We saw it back in Genesis. This is a repeat of the same line. Do you remember where it is? Remember where it is? Just think to yourselves. It's, tw it's towards the end of the book as they are heading down to Egypt, okay? Just a reminder, Jacob uh, and his sons are in the land of Canaan, and there's a famine, and Joseph, who has been sold into slavery years earlier, has prepared for the famine, 
And um, there they head down to Egypt back and forth in those last chapters of Genesis, trying to procure food, not realizing that it's Joseph who is the who is who is the who is the the holder of of the of the grain and all the power. And then eventually Joseph reveals himself and invites them down to Egypt, which is the only place they can survive. So off they go. And as they descend, um, Jacob receives a vision from God in the middle of the night. And this is this is this is the, the what it says in that vision. So uh, Israel, this is chapter 46. Okay. So we're 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 Exodus chapter one. Um, Genesis has 50 chapters. So towards the end, but not not all the way at the end, you have to remember it. You have to remember um, five chapters back. So uh, Israel set out with all that was his, and he came to Beersheba, where he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. God called to Israel in a vision by night, Jacob, Jacob. And he answered, Hineni, here I am. I am God, the God of your father. Fear not to go down to Egypt, for I will make you there into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I myself will also bring you back. I will also bring you back up. That's what it should say. I will bring you back up because the language there is rising up. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Okay, that's the message that Jacob gets from God. So Jacob set out from Beersheba. The children of Israel put their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to transport them. And they took along their livestock and the wealth that they had amassed in the land of Canaan. Thus Jacob and all his offspring with him came to Egypt. He brought with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons, his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. These are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Okay. Like I am, I often, I, I'll, I'll get all um, excited by the repetition of one word or two words. Okay. But this is an entire half sentence. These are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. And not just does it get repeated. It is the first line in the next book. Okay. So there's a call back there to just put it plainly. There's a call back there. And we're going to use that call back to think about how these books are related. If you're reading through, um, and as I was, you know, crack open your, you know, micro kadolot, you know, look at all your commentators and you read that first line, you think, oh, wait a minute, I've seen that before. And you just wonder, did any of the uh, commentators notice that? Yes. They all noticed it, okay? It's not, uh, this is a, this is a, uh, a hint, uh, but it's a hint in, in, in plain sight, right? It's, it's, it's a pretty clear and obvious callback. And there are lots of, um, lots of reasons given, uh, lots of explanations. How are we supposed to understand this moment of callback? Um, Rashi, for example, says, something beautiful. Rashi is always uh, a, a, a poetic in his, uh, in his interpretations. And he says, it's, it's because God, because God is showing God's love for the children of Israel, because uh, it's, it's like uh, stars. When they come out, you, you name them. And, uh, and when they, and when they, uh, when they, when they, when the, the, 
when the when it's the end of the night, you name them as well. Affection. Um, what do you what do you what do you think? I mean, what do you think so far? Uh, we haven't seen much, but we know now that the first line of Exodus is a callback to the moment when the children of, of Israel who are now dead, right? We already saw they've, that generation has died out, but we're calling back to the moment when they were first descending into Egypt. So what do we understand from that? What, do we, what, do, what, what, what is the meaning of that? If we look back at that um, passage in, um, in chapter 46 of Genesis, that was not an insignificant moment. There was a lot of uh, messaging that uh, Jacob got um, there from God that it's like, you know, what uh, I, the, I'm trying to make this point that the two books are connected, but look at all the stuff that we see here. I will make you into a great nation. I will, um, you will go down to Egypt. I will, you will uh, become a great nation and I will bring you back up. And we don't even need Exodus at this point, right? We, the story has already been told. So what, why, what, what, let's just do some sort of lit some literary work and just think about what it means for the first line of Exodus to be a callback to this moment. All right, let's, let's hear from some folks before we turn to Nachmanides. Uh, Matt Silverstein. Um, what, what hit me just then is the other thing says, Jacob, I'm going to do this for you and then list the people going. And here we have the list of people. And what we look at similarities, what we want to do is look at the differences. And it's as though it is telling us the first book was about individuals. Now we're talking about a group. Mm -hmm. The first book was about a family mm -hmm. and the people's relationships in their family. Now we're talking about a nation. So Good. it's not... This guy, that guy, it's all of those people and their kids and these kids and these kids. Good, good, good. Okay, good. So part of part of what we do, um, says Matt, when we when we create that kind of um, uh, linguistic connection, it, we, we're making we're making uh, we're tethering the, these two moments in our in our Torah, but we're also creating the possibility for a contrast for a kind of comparative contrast. And here the obvious contrast is they were then 70 people. They were 70 people when they went down to Egypt. And remember that moment because they are now in just a few quick lines becoming a nation. So remember that moment and how these 70 people became a nation, right? Like that, like that, that, that it was, that was, it's it's all connected, but it was a very different time that we were talking about families in the book of Genesis. We are now going to be talking about nations. And that in some ways is a, sets a very different tone. And that's exactly right. Very different tone for the book of Exodus, which will be about nation building, the formation of a, of a people where Genesis was again and again and again and again, family stories. Okay. And this, and this moment of 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 calling back this com this comparison between the seventy there that becomes the nation here. Good. Okay, that's that's one good connection. Noah, let's uh, let's keep going. Yeah, I, I I always like these callbacks that it's constantly connecting us to our history, like it did when 
Israel was born, that these are the generations of Isaac, these are the generations of Noah, these are the generations of Abraham. Here it's saying these are the generations of Israel that have gone into Egypt. And the interesting distinction I immediately noticed was in the Vayahi section, it said, I'll make you a great nation there, but weren't they already a great nation in Canaan? So are they bringing that exact same nation into Egypt where they'll again be a great nation or are they just going to continue being a great nation or a new nation within Egypt? Okay, okay, that's that's a that's an interesting question. At what point do they gain their status as a nation? Uh, that's a good question. And I think I would say, you know, to give an overly simplistic answer, you know, Noah just asked, weren't they already a nation? I think I would say, no, they were not yet a nation. There is the constant promise from the moment that Abraham gets uh, his famous call, it, it, I will make you into a great nation, goy gadol. But, and, 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 and Jacob just heard that repeated, I will make you into a great nation. But that's been the promise all the way through the book of Genesis. It has not happened yet. And I would just say, um, just to make the point um, even uh, stronger, uh, the first time, this is like a, this is like a, a good, uh, both trivia, but also a deep point. This is a good thing to know about the Torah. When is the first time that, um, we, the people of Israel, are referred to as a people, Am Yisrael. When is the first time? We just saw it. Who is the first person to, to call the people of Israel um, a people? Uh, it's Pharaoh. A new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, look, the Israelite people are much too numerous for us. Am B'nai Yisrael. This is the word for people. Oops. Um, Am B'nai Yisrael. We use that, that term all the time now. Am Yisrael, Am Yisrael Chai. But that's, Pharaoh's the first, first one to use that term. And you may have noticed that he uses the term twice there, uh, or the Torah uses the term twice in the same sentence. So he said to his people, look, there's this other people. And it is in that kind of formulation that we're starting to think of two separate nations, two separate peoples, okay? All right, um, Marlene. So in Shemot, we don't have the, the reference to God saying, I'll take care of you, I'll make you a great nation. And to me, it seems like Jacob has internalized that or the people have internalized that promise from God. So this time we don't see that overtly talked about. Good, good, Marlene, that, that's, that's right. The, the beginning of the book of Exodus is, as I said, ominous. Darkness descends upon, um, upon the land as a new king rises and very quickly will be calling for um, genocide, will be calling for infanticide, right? Okay, it, you could begin the book of Exodus and start, if you use your first time through the Torah, start worrying that this is the end. One of the things that this callback does is remind us that God has already promised that they will leave. There is already the promise of redemption. So as we head into um, uh, the house of bondage, 
it, not that we shouldn't be worried, but you just remember that we're carrying a promise with us. And that's part of what's important about this callback as well. Alexandra? Thank you. I love these comments. Um, and I, I think my answer is probably pretty simple, that I think it's a callback to just as a reminder of who these people are. Um, I have a particular fascination with the word nefesh, and it's used twice to say people. And nefesh, it can mean soul, it can mean a body. And I love thinking about it as, as a soulful person or the body as a spiritual territory. But they're not, when they go down, they're described twice as nefesh. But then once they're in Egypt for a little while, they're described like insects, like swarming and teeming. And they lose their connection to their souls. And it takes them hundreds of years to get it back. And I think that the callback is this reminder, this is who these people are, this is who you are. You're gonna forget, but this is who you are. Mm -hmm. Interesting, okay, yeah. The, the, this is like in some ways uh, related to uh, Matt's point that there was a kind of, uh, the Torah was seeing the individuality the, the personhood, the uniqueness of everybody that went down. And soon enough now in the book of Exodus, they will be, as they become a nation, which is in, in some ways that like a good thing, they also become just statistics, just right. Like, and, and Alexandra's right, soon enough described as almost like um, vermin, just multiplying like in some, the language is, is, is meant to dehumanize, right? So remember that you were once, uh individuals and that god spoke to you and recognized your full personhood good i like that connection as well ariella we'll take one more and then we'll dive in well also i think it's reminding people about god's promise because when they were in israel and they became a nation i think that they needed that reminder of what god promised them to keep them, to keep that alive through the oppression of the of the bondage and the slavery, that God will deliver them. That was a promise. Good. Okay. Good. All right. So um, we are uh, ready now that we've done a little thinking of our own to take a, a look at one of the great, truly one of the the great interpreters of the Torah of all time in, in, in history, and that is uh, Nachmanides. The, we call him the Ramban. The Ramban was a, a 13th century um, Catalonian, the Spanish Catalonian uh, rabbi, sort of a savant um, who famously uh, uh, engaged in a, a, a disputation, a kind of a, a, a public debate over the truth of Judaism won pretty pretty handily won that debate and then was soon forced to flee uh, because uh, like that you don't you don't, you 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 lose if you win right so forced to flee and um, and spent his his last years in the land of Israel you know um, and though it was not much built up at the time and that's where he composed his commentary on the Torah and it is a masterpiece just a masterpiece I mean. Um, the two most classic commentaries on the Torah are Rashi's. Um, 
Rashi, we've already mentioned Rashi, the, the, the great French uh, commentator is sort of, you know, the, the, the printed in most editions of the Torah. And then the um, Ibn Ezra, so let's see if I can do this. Rashi's 11th century, Ibn Ezra's 12th century, and, and Nachmanides is 13th century. This is like one after the other. This is always confusing. I just like hate those terms. 13th century means 1200s. It's always hate that. Um, but anyway, um, the Ramban, Nachmanides, um, there are two classic commentaries on the Torah. The first um, rabbinic Bible is printed with those, those two commentaries, and those would be the top two kind of undisputed until um, Nachmanides comes in and delivers such a masterpiece. And part of what he does also is he's, he's constantly referencing those other two. So there's a way in which his commentary creates the discourse of Parshanut, creates it as a discourse. Like we are all here debating um, the meaning of the text. And, um, and so um, there are many ways in which the, the commentary of Nachmanides is uh, just superb. And, um, and I could keep going describing uh, features, uh, unique features of his style and his, um, and his philosophy. But uh, today, I just wanna highlight one particular feature of his commentary, which is that uh, he does something that um, many of the other commentators, most of the other commentators do not do, which is that he offers a little introduction uh, of every book in the Torah. He has a, has a, most of the commentators have an introduction to the Torah, but he's got an introduction to the book of Exodus. And I want to look at that. Uh, that's our primary text today, to look at uh, his, his introduction to the book of Exodus, because what he does, he picks up on this connection that we've been looking at, and out of it, he builds an entire kind of um, symbolic uh, narrative so that we, so that he, he will, he, he invites us to understand the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus, not just as a narrative flow, but as a kind of a, a movement of, um, of concepts that Genesis represents certain concepts, certain, um, um, uh, certain phenomena are taking place in Genesis and that Exodus will be a kind of a response to um, not just the stories, but the themes of, of, of Genesis. So um, let's uh, let's take a look. I see one hand before we dive in. Hiro, do you want to say something before we take a look? I don't hear you, Hiro. Okay. Sorry. Um, Pharaoh's words are the first documented incident of anti-Semitism. Yeah, well, yeah. To say that he was an anti-Semite is, yeah, that not con that, that you'll get no disagreement, right? That, that seems that seems clear enough. Although he was also a Semite, right? Technically, right? Like sure. so, sure. Uh, so self self-hating in in a certain uh, twisted way. Okay, um, all right. Let's take a look now. When I went and I looked at the at Nachmanides on the verse that verse that first verse, which is an echo of an earlier verse, um, he like everybody. Uh, on the page notices it and talks about it for a little while, but he says some, he said something that um, was so, it was so, um, so perfectly said, it was what I was thinking, it's what I've been saying all along, um, which is, he says very explicitly, um, yeah, the, there's a repetition here because even though they are two separate books, the story is, this story is connected 
um, uh, the story is all connected, sorry, Hasipur Muchubar, with events which follow one another, okay? So he really makes the point explicitly, not just uh, like, oh, you're supposed to think of this in the callback, but actually, as I've been saying, this opening line is meant to connect the two books all together. And I'm looking at his commentary there on verse 1-1, and I realize that if I sort of, so to speak, scroll backwards, although, you know, I've put it here, uh, so... Uh, so it's actually after, but this introduction comes above his commentary on, on verse one. And I went and I looked at the introduction and it's so valuable. It's such an interesting and helpful read of the, the two books that I thought it'd be worth our time to just sort of review it today. So let's take a look at what he says um, piece by piece. It's not that long. Um, it's really just one paragraph, which I've broken into, into four. Uh, not that much, but there are there's a lot that he's saying in here. So let's take it one at a time. In the book of Genesis, which is the book of creation, Sefer Hayitzirah, okay, uh, the book of creation, or you might say formation. Uh, the book of Genesis is the book of creation. In the book of Genesis, the Torah completed the account of how the world was brought forth from nothingness. And the phrase he uses here is chidush haolam, the, the new phenomenon of the world itself. Okay, so the world was formed. From, from nothing came something. The world was formed, brought into being, and also how everything else was created. Okay, so that's easy enough. Step one, Genesis. Now we've got a new name for the book of Genesis. Genesis is the book of creation or the book of formation. And that's true. That is, we start Genesis with a creation story. Now, uh, one, one, tech, one sort of technical point here or reference point here, which is that, you know, creation, the word that Genesis actually uses in the, in, in the, in the, in the beginning um, is bria, bria. And that's not the word he uses here. He uses the word yitzira. So again, you might say one is creation, one is formation, but they're both languages for creating. But it's significant that he uses the language of Yitzira, Sefer HaYitzira. Why? Because there is a there's a there's a an ancient mystical text called Sefer Yitzira, the Book of Formation, that um, it's very 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 hard to understand. It's essentially just sort of mystical secrets that deal with letters and numbers but is purported to have been written by Abraham and to have in it secrets that would allow you, if you used it, to actually, like, you could, you could animate things. You, could, you would have, you know, mystic, magical powers. And Nachmanides wrote a commentary on Sefer Yitzhirah. So when he calls Genesis the book of formation, there's a wink there, okay? Like, it's the book which contains in not just it is the book which has the creation story, but it is the book which it is a creation book, and it contains in it all kinds of um, all kinds of creations. Okay, that's the theme. In other words, of the book of Genesis is creation slash formation. Now, now that's the technical point. Um, the, the 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 other the other point I want to make here, as he says just before we finish this paragraph, that he, he calls Genesis the book of creation because it has 
the story of the creation of the world and everything that was created in it, which is great, except that that story takes two chapters. So that's not the book of Genesis. What about all the other stuff in the book of Genesis? And here he says something really, really interesting. Okay, so let's take a look at what he says here, and then we'll turn out to see what we what we make of it. He says, um, uh, the Genesis is the book of, of, of Yitzirah, of creation. And in it, the Torah completed the account of how the world was brought forth from nothingness and how everything was created. That's us and the plants and the animals and the stars and everything, as well as an account of all the events which befell the ancestors. That's your, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob folks, who themselves are a sort of creation to their seed. Here it is in Hebrew. Shehem ki'inyan yitzira lezaram. They also were like a creation. Okay, so the world was created, the stuff was created, but the stories of our ancestors are also a big bang. The stories of our ancestors are also a sort of creation for all the events that happened to them were symbolic occurrences. Everything that, that happened to them were, and the language here in, in Hebrew is tziuredvarim. They sketch out, they create images, they imprint things which indicate and uh, uh, indicating and foretelling all that was destined to come upon their seed. There's a lot he just said there. We're going to spend some time trying to unpack that. And now having completed the account of creation, which now you understand isn't just the first two chapters, but somehow all 50 chapters are creation chapters. Now the Torah begins another book concerning the subject that had been alluded to in all of those symbolic events. Okay, so I want to I wanna unpack that idea with you that they themselves were a kind of creation. But before I do, I think I saw um, Jen's hand go up even just when we were mentioning the book of, of, of creation, of formation. So, uh, so let's pause there and hear what Jen has to say. Um, that phrase, um, Kedush HaAlam, and that coming forth from nothingness made me think about these two sort of dualities that I'm seeing between Genesis and Exodus. Um, and one, the first book, um, we came from nothing. And the second book is we came from someone, right? That's the first, first part. And in the first book, and, and he's kind of alluding to this too, we are a people because of a promise, because of a thing that was told to us about the future. And the beginning of Exodus is we are a people because of a shared past. So I see these like, it's the same line um, in both, but I just see that the, the table setting or the place setting for both of those stories are like seemingly opposite uh, dynamics. Great, I love the way you put that. And I'm, I'm just gonna build on it because you're making me think when you, when you say like, we came from nothing, right? Which is what light came from. Like there was nothing and suddenly there was light. And that's the opening. When we, when we say yesh mi'ayin, uh, creation ex nihilo, something from nothing, we're really referring to that first moment where there was nothing. But actually then the subsequent days of creation are mostly using what is there, the water that is there or the, you know, dividing things apart to, you know, even our formation as humans, we came from the ground, we're formed from the ground. And I just want to say that, that that movement parallels the kind of description, Jen, that you were just giving, where maybe Genesis being the first book is like the first day where this people just sort of seems to emerge, we came from nothing, we emerge out of nowhere and suddenly come into being, but right. 
Exodus will be the book that takes what was and then uses it to like, to shape us into, we came from someone, we came from something, we are, we're being formed now from the raw material of Genesis. And Matt also had a hand up before we um, move into the- into Yeah, the sorry to, to, to talk twice, but this is sort of one of, this is I think what the documentary hypothesis of the modern criticism is actually saying in that the Torah is a document written to create the Jewish people. The purpose of the people who wrote it down was to say, hey, you exiles, we're one people. We've got this political leadership. We worship in Jerusalem. It is a creation story because it's a political, ritualistic, religious document. And it opens with a creation because they're saying, hey, this is the kind of story I'm telling you. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you about creation. Look at that. Mm -hmm. Not telling, it's not to tell us about the creation of the world. It's to set us up to hear, hey, guys, let's all worship in Jerusalem. Let's all have one set of leaders. Let's see ourselves as one people, not 12 tribes and different backgrounds and all that stuff. Okay. This so is I think. Yeah. Okay. I, I, this is great because I mean, as usual, Matt is bringing the critical historical perspective, and it's like it's the same the same themes. <laughs> like we're dealing with the same themes here, but the way Matt is reading, it's like that which is written as earlier is actually meant to justify that which comes later, or to explain, or to give magnificent like ancient credence to that which comes later. Whereas if you read it as I do, sort of theologically. It's like, it's, it, it's the opposite. It's that that which is written earlier is foretelling that which comes later, right? That there is in, the, in Genesis um, a, a looking forward to Exodus rather than there is in, in, in Exodus a kind of a need to create a backwards in Genesis. But in the end, we're, we're trading in the same themes here, right? What does it mean to, to form, to create these people? Okay. Um, speaking of these people, so now I want to I want to I want to begin to ask the uh, to 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 try and figure out what exactly the Ramban is saying about um, this very intriguing phrase that the, uh, the ancestors themselves were a form of creation. Let's just take a look at it again. So the world is created, but um, but all the events that we read about um, uh, of our ancestors. Um, we read about them because they themselves are a sort of creation to their seed for all the events that happened to them were symbolic occurrences indicating and foretelling all that was destined to come upon their seed. What, what do you make of that? What, can someone speak that out for? How do you understand that? Is that does that sound right? Is it, is it mystical? Is it, what, what does it mean to say that our ancestors were a kind of creation force in themselves? and embedded in them was all that was to come for us. Uh, Leah Matsui. Yeah. Um, we have Genesis, which is a, a pristine um, a grandeur of, from chaos, we're getting order, structure, classification, and we also get our ancestors. Then when we move into Exodus, something has become very twisted and we get construction, but it's us constructing with mud and bricks. 
these meaningless structures, highly stratified, classified society, but meaningless because Hashem is no longer seemingly in charge, but who's in charge is the Pharaoh. So I think we have like this like twisted mirror world where our ancestors are going to be able to then in Exodus with the help of God, tip it back. Okay. All right. That, there, there's another interpretation of just the sequence of books. Um, but I, I want to keep driving on the on this particular question. What does it mean to see our ancestors as a creation in themselves foretelling what is to come? Yael? Well, I see archetypes here. So the ancestors, and it, it it's really tied together when Yaakov blesses his sons. You are this, you represent that. So th it's not only that each of the ancestors is an archetype, but that the relationships between them and the events that happen between them are, are, are also archetypes for human behavior. And that this will be um, a prototype that will be used throughout the rest of the Torah and throughout time. Good, 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 good. Great language you've you've given us there, Yael. Archetypes. That there there is those stories, those early stories were setting mythic themes, patterns, archetypes that would repeat throughout history. So that when we read the stories of Exodus, we should read them through the lens of those early stories, or we don't even have to try. We will hear the echo of those early stories now in the later stories. Right? The language that Nachmanides uses famously in another place is Mase Avot Siman Lebanim. The actions of the of the fathers is a sign for the children. Okay. The actions of the stories of the parents becomes a kind of a foretelling, a kind of a sign. For the children. Now, in other words, um, just to give a couple of, of obvious examples, when Abraham gets the call, he goes to the land of Canaan, then descends to the land of Egypt because there's a famine, and then comes back up from the land of Egypt. Okay. Abraham took some of the same journeys that we that we're going to take now as a people. That literally, in some ways, we're following in Abraham's footsteps. There's a lot of the, the basic movements that we saw people, and we already said this, it was a book about individuals, families, people, but we saw those people take movements and behave in certain ways. We saw stories play out that we should expect to see echoes of and repetitions of because they set the pattern. They, they, were, they were not just our ancestors, they were the ancestors they were the archetypes okay now you know we're um, we're already almost at the end of our time but let's just do some of that work together let's just see what, what this is a, that's a very lofty thing to say but what do we mean by that what do we mean when we say we're going to see the themes of genesis um repeating sorry i'm scrolling around here repeating again and again well first of all we saw this this line was a kind of a callback okay and that's what that's what Nachmanides is thinking about. But just here's what he's asking us to do. When we move through the, the language of the book of Exodus, look for echoes of Genesis. Okay. So where would we find echoes of Genesis? 
Well, obviously in the story itself, Joseph was in the book of Genesis. Now Joseph is in the book of Exodus, right? The story itself is connected, but there's more. The Israelites were fertile and prolific and they multiplied. Let's change fertile to fruitful, right? And then it'll be clear what the callback is. They were fruitful and multiplied. Where's that language from? Garden of Eden. That's what God blessed, blessed the, the, talk about archetypes. That's what God blessed Adam and Eve with. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the land. And fill the land so that the land was full of them. Okay? So there you see, like, that's Genesis language. That's Genesis language. Um, uh, here's, here's another example of Genesis language. Um, let us deal shrewdly with them so that they may not increase. The language here is hava, ooh, hava nitrakma pen yerbe. Let's be um, shrewd with them, um, lest so that they may not increase. Um, th that, if you're listening, is an echo of the language from, um, from the Tower of Babel. Hava nivne, let, let us build. Have same language. Hava nitchakma, hava nivne. Let us build a tower. Penny folks, lest God spread us all over the land. Right. So we should be listening all throughout. Fruitful and multiply. I've heard that before. Come, let us do this, lest we be something happen to us. I've heard that before. We should constantly be on the lookout for echoes, for ways in which those earlier stories. It's almost like they carved grooves in time, and we're going to. As, as we cycle through time, we're going to fall again and again into those grooves, okay? Um, even the last, uh, even the last uh, uh, line here that, uh, of these opening uh, verses, right? Um, they, uh, they may join our enemies and rise from the ground. The Allah min ha'aretz, that phrase there, rise up from the ground. We heard that phrase before when, um, when uh, we said that I will go back down with you and I will bring you back up. Allo, same language there, rise up. So some of these are subtle and some of them are glaring, but in, in general, as we read through the book of Exodus, we should see that the book of Exodus, and here I really like, I part ways with Matt because it feels to me like the author of the book of Exodus is the author of the book of Genesis or the team of authors or the editor of, I mean, this, these books are being composed with recognition of one another. These books are meant to be threaded through. We are supposed to read these reference points back and forth, okay? All right, let's hear from a couple of other folks who haven't had a chance yet. Um, uh, David Kurtz. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the authors are, I think, it's God's story. This is God's story. And the authors are telling God's story. But the greatest callback of all, I, I don't remember where it is, but your offspring will be strangers in a land and they're going to be oppressed for 400 years. I mean, there it is. So bingo, you know, I mean, this is, that's pretty obvious to me. And Joseph is the one that's going to lead you down there. And then he's going to close your eyes so you won't see for, 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 for all those generations. So, yeah. Good, thank you. I was starting to get worried because we 
we're running out of time here. We're like tackling, you know, the greatest book of all time. So inevitably we're going to run out of time. But I, I was like, oh, shoot, I really didn't budget well because I really wanted to mention the, at least one more thing. Thank God for David Kurtz, who takes us right there, because that's the other great reference point, right? We, we spent a lot of our, the opening of our discussion looking at the way the opening of Exodus refers back to chapter 46 in the book of Genesis, that moment of descent. But that moment of descent where Jacob hears that message, you're going to go down to Egypt and you're going to come up. It's like, wow, okay, we got a lot of the story already, but wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not, that's not the moment where we got the story already. We got the story already way back in the days of Abraham, way back in the days of Abraham, not just because he trotted down to Egypt and came back, but because God said so explicitly. So let's, let's see where the, the Ramban make exactly the connection that David Kurtz just made and take a look at chapter 15 of the book of Genesis. So um, we were here in the Ramban who gave us this idea. Um, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm confusing you by sometimes calling him the Ramban and sometimes calling him Nachmanides, two ways of speaking about the same guy. One is an acronym like Rabbi uh, Moshe Ben Nachman and one is the, the Latinate of it. Um, but anyway, he uh, was telling us about all those symbolic occurrences and now have and, and now uh, that, that foretell all that is destined to come. And then he goes on and says that the book of Shemot was dedicated to the story of the first exile, which had been clearly decreed and the redemption from it. Okay. And I'll skip the next part, go to this paragraph. Now, the exile was not completed until the day they returned to their place and were restored to the level of their ancestors. When they left Egypt, even though they came forth from the house of bondage, they were still considered exiles because they were in a land that was not theirs. But Eretz lo lahem. That is a quote. That is a quote, as you can see. And the quote is a quote from chapter 15 of the book of Genesis, when God said to Abraham, I am the eternal who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to assign this land to you as a possession. And he said, oh, Lord eternal, how shall I know that I'm possess it? Came the reply. And then there's this weird ceremony that we call the covenant between the parts. Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old she-goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young bird. He brought all these and cut them in two, placing each half opposite the other, but he did not cut up the bird. Nobody really totally understands what's going on here. Birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Avram drove them away. And as the sun was about to set, a deep sleep fell upon Avram and a great dark dread descended upon him. A great dark dread descended upon him. And God said to Avram, know well that your offspring shall be strangers in a land not theirs. That's the quote. And they shall be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will execute judgment on the nation they shall serve, and in the end, they shall go free with great wealth, okay? So there you have it. It's not just that there was a little illusion at the end of the book of Genesis of all that was to come, but that all of this has been spoken about, foretold, mentioned. We should have known from the, from the, from the first conversations God had with Abraham that Exodus was on its way. And as he speaks of a great dark dread descending upon Abraham, that's exactly what we should be feeling at this moment as we head into the book of Exodus, a great dark dread descends upon us. But at the same time, a recognition that I will take you out of the land of Egypt. That's not a surprise that's going to come about in the third chapter of the book of Exodus. 
That's something God has been talking about all along, okay? So just to, the, there's a kind of, the books are connected thematically. The books are connected in, in narrative. The books, as we've been, um, um, as we've been talking about, are connected in, in language and the sort of literary connection here. But they're also connected through the prophecies that have been seeded throughout the book of Genesis. They're, they're in other words, theologically connected, theologically connected as well, okay? Now, there's a lot more that the Ramban says here, and, um, and we, we really don't have time for it all. I thought, uh, I thought uh, maybe we would have uh, more, more time, um, but, uh, but the, the main point uh, has, been, has been made, which is that um, the book of, um, of Genesis is the book of creation. And then, then the book of Exodus, therefore, becomes the book of, um, well, I don't know, what language would you use? The book of fulfillment, the book of completion, the book of redemption, right? But all, like, there's a, there's a, there's a, a descent that has to happen here. There's a, there's a, whatever's happening in the book of, of Exodus, it will be calamitous and tragic, but it is um, on some level, from God's perspective, necessary and always meant to be. And so I think I'll leave us with that question. What is it about the book of Exodus that the Torah always had in mind? What is it about everything that we're going to start reading that God and Abraham were already talking about in some of their first conversations and that God kept talking about with our ancestors on and on and on. And that even as we were descending, even as we were headed down into the land of Egypt, God is saying, let me just tell you something of what's to come, okay? So we have now, as we head into the book of Exodus, we have a certain kind of methodology that I, 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 I want us to be holding on to, which is let's constantly look for those reference points. Let's sort of like keep in mind, where are we seeing the, the echoes of Joseph in the figure of Moses? Right? Where are we seeing prophecies being fulfilled? Where are we seeing the language of, of fruitful and multiply echoing the earliest language uh, in, in, the, in our creation story? We have that, but we also have with us a really a, a deep and, and, and troubling theological question, which I don't have the answer to. We'll continue to process it in the weeks to come, which is why was this always supposed to happen? What is it that God... Uh, and our ancestors sketched out certain patterns that we would be repeating. And one of those patterns is descent in order to reach, reach ascent, right? Yerida litzorich aliyah, descent for the need of ascent. And why is that movement, why is that um, archetype or arc so important to the Torah's narrative? We'll continue to, to think about that as we move forward now into the book of Exodus. Thanks, everybody.